and welcome to a special edition of the Mash Those Buttons MASHcast. I'm Jared, and I'm here with community manager Rob Hill-Williams. Hello, guys. Or I should say good night, because we are about doing things for you. <laughs> yes, Even at are. the night. <laughs> yeah. It is right now, recording this. It is very late. It is past our MASHcast bedtime. That is for sure. <laughs> so, Gonna but, be rambling idiots by the time this is over. Yeah, yeah. So we're definitely, we wanted to make sure we had something uh, for you guys while we took our little uh, two-week break. Um so uh, this is, uh, like I said, it's a special edition MASHcast, and the topic of this special edition MASHcast is the crash of 83. Um, and for those who don't know what the crash of 83 is, it is the uh, the video game crash that almost destroyed the video game industry. Um, now, some people say that this is just a myth, that it really didn't happen this way and it wasn't that bad. Um, other people will remember it differently, <laughs> and this is how the history books will remember the crash of 83. Yeah, just because video games came back did not mean that, really, they they were pretty much done, you know, for a while there. Yeah, you know, and I, I have to say, like, it's not that, th- that there was, like, an extended period of time where the video games just weren't there, but the industry was not, it was looking down, like, yeah, the, of, in, the industry itself imploded. Yeah. There, there was no, there were still systems that were in development, or not even in development, but out. Like, I mean, the Atari 2600 didn't disappear until like 92, but it, you, games, <laughs> you know, like aside from people making stuff in their garages and all that kind of stuff that was going on, like, there was no industry. Exactly. Anymore. Like, a lot of the, a lot of the companies had pulled out, like, what you saw after the crash. Uh, was just, I guess you could say, remnants of what used to be there. You know, people were pushing out their final products and stuff like that. And it was looking, it was really looking down. <laughs> like, yeah, it, was like, it was like this is the North Star, except video games and less hundred fist punches. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and Mario walks away while the Atari explodes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, see, that's, that's it. That's the end of the podcast. Good night. <laughs> I win the internet. Yeah. There, yeah. You, there you go. But uh, but yes, um, the video game crash, it almost destroyed the industry, saw a lot of different companies go bankrupt. Uh, and I guess the, the primary reason for the crash, if you had the, you, you can't put, you can't give it like one reason why the industry crashed, but one, like, I guess uh, it was a combination of a few things. Uh, it was, but it was, I guess if you want to wrap it into something, it would be because of the oversaturation of not just consoles, but of, uh, games in general. Like there were a lot of consoles and a lot of games. Um, and just to give you an example of how many consoles were out at the time, okay? Because right now, when we say consoles, we're talking Nintendo, we're talking oh the Wii at this point, Xbox 360, and the PS3. Yeah, you're talking the big three in any systems that they have out. And if you include handhelds, I mean, the number right now, at least, not even just current, and if you include, you know, PS2, although Xbox, I wouldn't really count anymore. Yeah, I'll say yeah, Xbox is getting connection. close. Yeah. PS2 is getting pretty close. Um, GameCube is, you know, more or less out too. Although I guess it's still games still have some relevance on the Wii. But I mean, even with that, you're talking seven systems max, uh, and that's you know out of that's including the handhelds and you know all that stuff too. That's everything, yeah. And then uh, and then you can throw in you know smartphones and tablets if you want, and that still is 
a small number in comparison yeah. to the consoles that were out. Yeah, because this list I'm getting ready to give you is just consoles. This is not including home computers. Um, this is just consoles. So uh, we had Atari 2600, very well known. Atari 5200, uh, the Bally Astrocade, ColecoVision, that's also well known. You also had the Coleco Gemini, which was pretty much a 2600 clone. Uh, the Amazon Arcadia 2001, the Farchild Channel F System 2, the Magnavox Odyssey Second Power or Two. I don't know if that's supposed to be a two or second power, but I, yeah, I just I just call it the Magnavox Odyssey because that's. Yeah. How it's known, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. In television, in television two, uh, Sears telegame system, which were pretty much just twenty six hundred and in television clones. Um, a Tandy Vision, which was another in television clone, but that was specific, uh, specifically for Radio Shack, and the the Vectrex. And that was just consoles. And on the horizon at the at that time, you had the Atari seventy eight hundred coming out and the Odyssey three. That was yeah. supposed to come out in 84. And you're not counting the computers, which includes Apple II, Commodore 64. Atari you know, like 400. You're not, yeah, you're Atari not counting that stuff. So, And all of those really at the time were game systems too. But it's just that they were marketing themselves differently. Yeah, because so, with, with the home computers, like not only could you game, but you could also do word processing, maybe some home accounting, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, if you were a programmer, you could work in basic and stuff. But that's... About it. <laughs> it wasn't, well, it wasn't that advanced at the time, but you know, exactly. Pave the way. I mean, at the, I guess at the time you can say that. Oh wow, I can do this plus play video games on it. Like it, it was a different, it was a different marketing pitch because you know, the, you know, whoever was selling their home computer at the time would say, hey, you know, why just get them a console or that video game machine that rots their brain? You could send them to like you know college with this thing. And that was exactly what they did. They, it, when the market started getting so overwhelmed, I mean, you, and these were just systems that were out like in the same time frame. I mean, like there were still systems before that that maybe had some relevance, but I mean, between 77 and 83 or 82, really, like all of those systems were on the market at the same time. And they were all, they all had games being developed for them. Like all of them were relevant at the time. Exactly. So that's, a lot and to separate themselves the the home computing systems did market themselves literally as saying like well if your kids go into college why do you need a game system you want a computer but you can still play games on anyway <laughs> and every kid and every kid knew that so yeah. yeah because like if you ask anybody who had a commodore 64 ask them how much home accounting they got done on the commodore 64 <laughs> you know what I'm saying? how much word processing they did on it and I want to I want to get a good answer out of that. Oh yeah, I'm Commodore 64. I would have never made it through college. Yeah, right. You're a liar, sir. Yeah, people <laughs> got that because William Shatner was in their advertising. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. So, like I said, you had an oversaturation of consoles. I mean, like I mean, in any time. Uh, oversaturation is the bad word because anytime you have an oversaturation of anything, it devalues it. Okay. So at least only have demand, not more than <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly and, and you know and just imagine back then um right now parents still have an issue they still need that gamestop associates help picking out a console <laughs> you know what i'm saying and that's this day and age imagine back then where even well, of course gamestop didn't exist but even the sears associate did, probably didn't even know that much about it you know what i'm saying about each console and you know now they have all these consoles to pick from 
some of them being just clones. You know. Yeah, I mean, like, and all of them on like all of them being sold at the same time, like on on top of everything else, like that would be like walking into a shoe store and asking them about a system, and not only are you asking them about the system to tell you about it, but that there's 15 to choose from. On top of that, I mean, even. I mean, keeping track of things now is bad enough, even right. knowing what is going on. So, yeah, that was that would have been a pretty bad time. Yes. I can imagine. Being a parent must have been really retarded. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to just turn around in circles and point at something, and that's what I'm taking home. Pretty much. Like, yeah, I can imagine. Because we don't even have that... that- I guess that higher quality customer service these days, <laughs> you know, when it comes exactly. to video games. Exactly, that's what I mean. Like that's what I mean. Like it would be like walking into a shoe store. You walk into a GameStop, you're running a pretty good risk of having somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about, and all they're really trying to do is get you to reserve something. But you know, it, it, just to have you know maybe be an enthusiast, but like how much more rare must that have been then when the technology wasn't as prevalent? It's it's scary actually yeah so to go along with all these different consoles you also had a a ton of games like each console had its own games and uh, granted some (laughs) although saying its own games maybe maybe taking it too far because a lot of them have the same game (laughs) that is true as as i was getting ready getting ready to get into like a lot of them uh kind of had clones of each other you know but they might be called something else you know, and that, that's the thing. So you, you had like, basically, you had a lot of different game titles out there. And how's a parent supposed to know, or even a kid at that point, that it's just a clone of X game? You know what I'm saying? Right. That you know, Space Invaders, you know, had its clones, and that you know, you may look at them and not know which one is the clone. You know, it's almost, <laughs> exactly. it's, in fact, it's almost looking at like an app store now. Like if you just go look in an app store, like unless you know. Before you walk in there, you don't you don't know what's a cl- you know you don't know what's a clone of whatever unless you know you see like a Mario clone and you're like okay that's a Mario clone. But I mean like games that were made on uh, on smartphone. In fact, um, there's uh, I guess like a vector based uh, tower defense game. Um, it was called Z Defense. Right. That's that came out recently. Um, Katie's been playing it, so yeah, I've seen it. But they have a uh, another one called. Uh, it's just that it's another defense game that's if you looked at them you would think that they were made the same like that one copied the other but really all, both of those plus three other games are actually like inspired by another game that came out before so it's like you you do it's not even that they're like clones of each other or one's a clone of that like they're they're inspired by something else so if you don't know that going in you're just like oh i saw this one first so that one must be a clone you know like Right. It was like that, but worse. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was worse. I mean, not only uh, I, not only were there a lot of games, but a lot of low quality games, and we're actually going to get into that in a little bit, which is actually the actual cause, like one of the the largest cause of cause of the crash. Not just the fact that there were a lot of consoles and a lot of games, but a lot of crappy games too. Like I said, we're going to get into that in a minute. Um, but one of the things that led to so many games coming out uh, was actually, if I, you can blame it on Atari. This is kind of where it started because uh, you know Atari had a group of programmers that left because Atari refused to uh, put their names in the credit of the games. And so a group of programmers left, and they called their company Activision. 
you may have heard of them, <laughs> but uh, yeah, maybe just a, just a little bit. Um, so they called their company Activision, and the Activision. I have to say that the Activision back then is not the same Activision that we have today. Not necessarily, yeah. It's yeah, been, been, it's changed hands a couple times. Exactly. Um, so, you know, um, basically, what happens is when Activision forms itself, Atari sued Activision. Uh, to block the sales of their products because Activision was making games for the Atari, but they weren't working for Atari. However, in 82, Atari lost the case. And what happens, that sets the precedent for third-party games in general. Right, and and produced for a first party without them having to really... In fact, not only only could third parties produce for a console, but they could produce for a console without the the permission of the you know of that of that of that first party you know company right. if it, that would be like i don't even know that's not even like a really good comparison i can't think of anything like that right now because like if, at, at this point there's a lot of cooperation even amongst you know groups that maybe at like cross interests on some you know at some times but you know the way that you have gears now you know, on on 360, but it's exclusive. That would almost be like somebody else being able to make gears and just put it on PS3, just cause. Yeah, and nobody may be able to stop you from doing it. Yeah, so you know that opened the door for third party games in general. But I mean, <laughs> it's not like it is now. With you know, now you kind of ha- you, you know, we love third party games now because you know they're the ta- usually a group of talented developers. You know. Um, that you know know what they're doing. Actually, sometimes I think we worry about more more about first party titles in some cases than third party titles. A lot of times, yeah. I mean, yeah. Most of the games that we really consume are third party. You know, yeah. when we really get down to it, because that's what they do. That's all they do. That's that's how they made their living. So exactly the Activisions and EAs of the world. That's that's it. And you know, and and since stuff is in cooperation with the you know, since there is more cooperation. There's, you know, partnership between the first party and the third parties, and that's, you know, why you get a decent experience going into it, you know. It's not just slapped together and kicked out the door. Yeah, but back then it was more like the Wild West, like all types of companies were getting involved in the third party market. Companies that you would never think would make video games like... (laughs) Quaker Oats, <laughs> like making games, <laughs> or I shouldn't say make them themselves. They but themselves make starting games. a starting a games division exactly to try and diversify and take advantage of the fact that games were so popular then, and a lot of companies did it. Uh, Mattel, and I mean, in some cases, it sort of made sense. Like you did have Mattel, you know, Barbie, you know, the toy maker. They got into it to diversify. Um, you had, jeez, uh, uh, my brain is going. Um, you had some other ones. Yeah. Well, I'll Go give you it. one. Purina, like the same people who make the Puppy Chow, made a game uh, called Chase the Chuck Wagon about dogs eating food. Which was a clone of another game. Which was a clone of another game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, I mean, you had stuff like that. That was prevalent. So it's not just the fact that, okay, now this opens the door for any third-party pub- any third party publisher or developer to make a game and put it on the system without Atari's approval. I mean, like, now you're running into huge quality control issues because anybody can make anything and without your approval get it put into the store and this was kind of this was like really an issue like 
you know, like I said, oversaturation is always bad. So, you know, now, like, when, uh, you know, games were just over, like, I shouldn't say games, but retail stores were oversaturated with games. So it's not like you could, uh, you know, just showcase the, the good games. You know, now you now somebody walks into the store, they just see a slew of games. And Atari had no clue how many games were actually out because they didn't know how many third-party publishers there were. Right, and I mean, you had not only third parties who were making stuff that could be sold in stores, but you even had companies that were making things that were, you know, adult games that were being put on the system without, you know, any, you know, without anybody's knowledge or, you know, or anybody being able to stop it. You know, you had uh, General Custer's Revenge, which was just a completely terrible game, but not only that was like literally General Custer with walks across the screen with a wreck penis and rapes an Indian <laughs> like why you avoid arrows and like that was the game. That was the game. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> yeah. And I think you had companies making games like that. So not only did you have like more or less technically above board companies like Activision at the time making games and putting them in the stores and you know there were just so many there. But then you had companies putting stuff out in other stores that were still on the same systems. It wasn't like they were on computer or something where it was like, well, all of those type of games were on computer. You won't see those on the system. Yeah. Nope. They were there too. And there was just, there were so many. I mean, even, uh, I remember the one now, Bally, like they're, the Bally Astrocade. That's a Bally Total Fitness Bally. Like, guys, it was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. Um, and they owned Midway Games once upon a time, who is midway <laughs> now so uh you, there was just so much everybody was trying to diversify not only did you have all these systems and then those people making games for those systems but then the third parties making games uh for every system games cloning games on top of just being made for a system it was really bad you know it was not only just a a glut it was it's a, a tsunami. <laughs> it's a literal tsunami. Uh, it's just like, you know, as tall as you are, bargain bins every time you walk into a store of games, you know, maybe not quite that bad, but I'm I'm sure it got that bad when everything started collapsing, crashing down. And, and not only, and, and that's another thing too, but like one last thing before we move on to the next thing. Not only did you have games that were clones of other games, you know, you not only did you have like, you know, something that was a clone of Dig Dug or Qbert or something, but you had systems of clone systems. So like not only did you have just like, you know, the systems that Jarrett mentioned, although some of those were clones too, but you had other systems that people had developed on the side of those businesses that were literally just clones of the twenty six hundred or the Commodore or whatever. Like Everything was cloning everything. Like it was, it was just an inbred, <laughs> terrible, terrible combination and quality control, as we already said. So, and yeah, because there were so many crappy games out there, um, that really eroded consumer confidence. You know, like uh, why spend the money when you when the bulk of the games are bad? So you're just gonna get a you know you're just gonna get a bad game, and that's really. I guess what you can say the consumers were thinking at right. the time, and which crapshoot. So like you, you really couldn't even tell when something was good. You know, it, yeah. That didn't come to <laughs> that didn't come to a little later, and we're, we're going to get into that. But um, 
uh, these two games didn't kill the industry, but they killed one of the the giants in the industry. Uh, And the two games I'm talking about are E.T. and Pac-Man. Now, everybody knows that E.T. Well, E.T. has been dubbed by several as the worst game of all time. Uh, And I'm going to talk about that one last because that was the... That was the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, but both E.T. and Pac-Man were... They were expected to to be big for Atari. Because Pac-Man was huge in the arcades. Everybody loved Pac-Man. And now their, market, their huge marketing scheme is like, now you can have Pac-Man in your home. Okay. Now, the problem came in a couple of places. Um, first of all, um, Pac-Man was rushed. Uh, to meet the holiday season of of that of that time, um, which was it eighty one? I think it was eighty one. Pac Man was released, um, and so it was rushed to meet the holiday season. And because it was rushed, it's it was terrible. It was a bad game. Like uh, I think you you can actually look up screenshots between real Pac Man and the Pac Man that came out on the twenty six hundred, and it was just terrible. Mm-hmm. There was there was the the difference was very noticeable. Now because Atari expected for Pac Man to sell so well, they produced more cartridges than twenty six hundreds in existence. Like they, they you said they produced twelve, it was 12 million. million copies. They produced twelve million copies of Pac Man versus ten million total Atari twenty six hundreds in existence. And I mean like that's and. It, and not only is that two million more, it's probably actually even more than that because how many of those systems might have been functional, all that kind of fun stuff. So like, chances are there were even less. But it's more like, not only did they expect them to sell <laughs> every system in existence, but they expected some people, two million of those people, to buy it twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's like it was a really bad decision on their part, you know, to, to do that. So due to the production cost and uh, the marketing cost, like Atari suffered huge losses from Pac-Man. And the funny part though, is that it technically it did, it was the best selling 2,600 title ever. It was seven, it sold 7 million, but that still did leave 5 million, almost half the copies floating around out there. Yeah. It was a little bit over half that it sold. And it was a crappy game, as we've already said. Yeah, great. yeah, exactly. So when you have a crappy game, like nothing makes people angrier than buying a game. What happens today? You buy a game that you think is going to be good, and then it turns out to be garbage, or it may not even be garbage. It may not be as good as you think it should be. You know, and you're like, oh, this game fucking sucks. You know, Activision sucks. You know, Syrian <laughs> <laughs> call of gamers everywhere. Yeah, you know that's that's that, that that's what happens. It still happens today, but back then, it was like Atari sucks. You know, and that sticks with people. That sticks with people. Like I mean, even today, like I know there's certain games I won't buy because you know because of a uh, you know you know I've played you know one or two of that series, or I've played another game from that developer and it was just totally totally terrible right not only do you get soured on people by your own experiences just from playing something from a developer or even a publisher sometimes but word of mouth is also very powerful you know if a friend of yours plays a game that's really terrible and they tell you like chances are you're never gonna look at it you know and, and 
even more chance that you'll tell somebody else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's a powerful thing. It is as much as when you like something, you tell somebody else that you like it and, you know, they may look at it or pick it up when they wouldn't have before. Like it really, it works the other way. And sometimes negative press goes even further. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's what happened with Pac-Man. And then with E.T., uh, E.T. was kind of in the same boat as Pac-Man. Uh, E.T. was rushed and it was really, really rushed. I mean, E.T. was developed. The entire game was developed in six weeks total. The entire game was developed in six weeks. Uh, two months. Not <laughs> even two whole fucking months. <laughs> yeah. They developed E.T. for and, a- that, and that was a huge license on top of that. Yeah. Not to cut you off. But that was not, at the time, like, there was nothing bigger as far as, like, a license, especially for something like video games. Like, yeah. It should have been the golden goose it that was, laid the, the egg the size of the world. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, the license was like, it was like either a million or close to a million. And that's astronomical for a video game license at that time. You know, that is huge. So, you know, like that they, they had a huge license that they paid for, then only spent six weeks developing the game to rush it for the holiday season and the game was terrible. So the same exact thing happens. Oh, and on, on top of that, they also produce more ETs than Atari 2600s in existence. Uh, you know what? Uh, yeah, they did do that. Actually, there's one correction, um, and this is probably my mistake too, because I thought both were. But actually, it was Pac-Man that was six weeks. Um, ET got a little bit longer. It got four months. <laughs> four months, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Four months, and it cost $125 million to make. Okay. Still yeah. sucked. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. No, it's still garbage. In fact, it was worse than Pac-Man, which I don't know how that works, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Actually, you know, it's it's kind of funny. <laughs> when G4 TV was good, they used to have those little commercials. <laughs> this is before <laughs> this is before they merged with Tech TV, which I don't I don't I don't blame Tech TV for the problems. I blame Comcast. But anyway, um they had the guy, I forget what his name was, uh, but they had him dancing on the dance dance pad. He's like, hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. I created like some game and it was like a really good sound game. He was like, I also created E.T., the worst game of all time. And that's how like, I, now I remember his face. If I were to see him in the crowd, I remember oh, wow. him because he said that. But I can't remember his name for my life. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I know what you look like, sir. <laughs> You're yeah, but uh, yeah, most of the ETs actually ended up in a landfill in New Mexico. So like that that shows you what happened there. But that like those two right there combined, ET and Pac Man, mixed with everything else that was happening with the industry, you know, eroding consumer conference because uh, conference uh, counts, uh, yeah, confidence. <laughs> Sorry, like we said, it's late <laughs> with mm-hmm. um you know with a whole bunch of bad games. Uh, that that really brought Atari down, and they were in financial ruin at that point. By '84, I think about 80, '84 they got bought by somebody. So even before yeah, that, '84 Warner Brothers um, had started, you know, trying to shop them out basically, and and they were sold before the end of the year. Yeah. So Warner Communications actually, I, I wouldn't say Warner Brothers. It was Warner Communications at Warner the time. Communication, but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, that brought that that huge gaming giant down to its knees. Now. That mixed with all you know, all the other consoles pushing out a bunch of crappy games, 
and the fact that the retailers the, the markets were so flooded with games that the retailers had no space to carry new games or consoles and then when the retailers would try to return games to the publishers the publishers usually didn't have enough money uh, or enough cash to issue refunds because nobody's buying the games you know, so retailers are just stuck with these games. So what happens? What do the retailers do? The retailers got to get rid of the inventory. So they force, they're forced to put uh, a lot of the, the games into discount bins. Yeah, fire sale, more or less. Fire sale, exactly. So what happens from there? Like, So now you have the crappy games that are extremely cheap now in discount bins. And you still have some games that are a bit more expensive that are probably at a higher quality. But be, because, you know... You have people all the- have been burned so much they yeah. don't even want to try. Yeah, they don't even want to try, or they go for the bargain bin stuff because they're like, "Oh, it's crap anyway. I might as well get something for cheap." So that means the more expensive games, the market for more expensive games, is now eroded, and those games are even cheaper now. Uh, and since nobody's making games off of, I guess, more expensive games, you can say now there's just a rush of low budget games in the market. You know, just games to make some type of money. So the industry is folding, it's crashing, and companies start pulling out like Magnavox and Coleco withdrew from the industry and others just collapsed and died. Yeah, a lot of them collapsed. Some people sold off their, you know, their parts. You know, like I said, Bally's had uh, Midway. You know, they owned Midway for a while. They ended up selling that off when everything started going sour. You know, it's people basically, they jump ship. You know, they jump ship fast. Yeah. And the other thing, too, that, like, I really want to, like, I guess, like, drive home that it may not even really make sense because, you know, you think, like, wow, that just all kind of folded really fast. But you have to understand, like, the monetary aspect of it, too. When Atari folded, Atari in, I would say, like, 81 was about 80, 80% of the video game industry. Uh like they that's how much they sold to the video game market you know that they had basically a monopoly on it they made up 70% of warner warner's money like that was 70% of warner's profits like they could do no wrong and that was in the 81 i mean before that they could do no wrong either um you know when we talk about you know if you if you account for inflation i mean even if you just account for it in today money you know a, a company losing you know a couple of million on a game or like dropping you know a million on a license is a, it's a lot like it's a lot of money especially then and activision was or i'm sorry not activision atari was worth 2 billion at one point like just atari <laughs> um and for it to go from that to being on the selling block in three years means that like things got really, really, really terrible. Um, not only that, but like uh, it got even it, it, this. <laughs> it, it seems ridiculous, but you can actually see effects of things like that now. But in '82, um, at the end of the year in '82, when they first started having problems, um, rather than the 15% increase, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 50% increase that people were expecting from them uh, to come through, they only reported a 10% to 15% increase. This is them still turning a profit, mind you. The, this is still them 
making money hand over fist. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's kind of like Nintendo going from like we print money with the DS to we print slightly less money, you know, with because the it's the end of its life cycle. Yeah, like it's it's kind of like that. And actually and, and like I said you can kind of see the effect today. Like 3DS isn't technically a failure, but people treat it like it is. Um but it was still it was still a very different time than two. Like Nintendo still has to contend with you know two other major companies and you know PC and smartphone and everything else. You know like there's 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 other options. That would be like if Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony got together and formed one company, and then that company like basically said we're not going to make any money next year. <laughs> like, like the, the, it would just send everything into a spiral. Um, and that's what happened. Uh, they had... Uh, the fact that they weren't going to make as much money as people were counting on, like their stock dropped two-thirds. And I don't actually have the number in front of me for what the stock was worth at the time. Um, but I'm sure you could do the math, maybe. <laughs> and, get a, and get a ballpark figure. Um, the... Uh, and they closed out fifty down fifty six percent in profits, like out that quarter, which was what like a month later. Like I think what closeouts for that would be in January. Um, so I mean, like it was just a massive change in fortune, and not only that, not only just the the public, you know, scrutiny or the public eye on things, but the CEO before he made the announcement. Like a half hour before he made the announcement, he sold five thousand shares of the stock of Warner stock, basically to cash in on everything before he knew everything was going to go bad. <laughs> Smart man. Smart yeah. man. Uh, hey, hey, man! Financial industry now, you know, or a yep. couple of years ago when the when the market got all bad, you know, some people did make out like bandits, you know, same thing. Um, maybe not as serious to people's you know livelihood, but you know, uh, it's still pretty bad, and. By the by, the time we hit eighty three, like they were in the red five hundred and sixty three or five hundred and thirty six million, half a billion dollars in eighty three, and that's why in eighty four they were like, "There, it's it's over." Yeah, it's over. Yeah. So, just I, to go from literally being like it, like the it thing, making you know, being worth almost over two billion dollars. Which was just a ludicrous, silly, stupid, 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 stupid amount of money at the time to losing half a billion and being, you know, sold. That that is what the market was contending with. And that was that was the market, really. Um yes, that's why it was so important. <laughs> and and them specifically was so important. Yeah, like that's why, you know, it may seem like a myth to you know for anybody because like, i mean like even then like i mean i was i was born the year that everything pretty much fell apart so like even like even i don't you know i grew up in in an age where it had recovered to a certain extent but i mean like that's why maybe like now like you, you know the people who are even younger like it seems like a joke to say like oh the, the industry collapsed like well no it didn't we've got everything now like yeah we do but literally at the time like it really did come crashing down like that was that was that was the the all and everything of the video game industry, yeah. And it fell apart. Yeah. <laughs> the industry, like it said, it was a uh, about it was a three billion dollar industry, which is pales in comparison to 
I mean, just a couple of years ago, the video game industry was labeled as a $60 billion industry. So it sounds silly now, but at the time it was a $3 billion industry. And in a little over three years, it went down to a $100 million industry. Just like that. <laughs> With all those consoles, all those consoles, all those games, all that stuff, $3 billion, $100 million. And people were pulling out left and right. And now a lot of people already know the, the end to this story, which is Nintendo the golden savior of the video game industry. Um, I don't care how much you hate Nintendo now. Back then, they pretty much single-handedly saved the industry. Um, in terms of console gaming, I mean, PC gaming or, you know, home computer gaming, I guess it still it exists. Really, right. It yeah, it still existed. Anywhere. You had Apple II. I mean, like, and, and funny for people who may not know, but, like, Steve Jobs actually worked for Atari at one point. Um, yeah. And that's, it was kind of basically like, that's how him and Waz really got involved with each other. Like, cause Waz basically started it more as like a, just to prove I could to do breakout in basic on the Apple or not on the Apple specifically, but they made the Apple to do it. And then like, you know, Apple, (laughs) but I mean, like they never really went anywhere. I mean, Commodore didn't really, you know, I guess like it still lasted for quite a while, but it didn't really do much. In fact, the Commodore ended up getting Atari when uh, Warner sold it. They stopped all game public, like all game development and everything, though. So it didn't really matter. But they had the name. Um, so PC never really went anywhere. But it, as the industry as it was, was yeah, the console. Yeah, the console industry was pretty much. It was it was on its last leg, you know, it's breathing its last breath, and then Nintendo comes in. Um, but they did things differently. Um, one of the biggest things is that, you know, you know, Atari and television, ColecoVision, stuff like uh, those consoles, uh, we had mentioned earlier that they had lost publishing control. And so games were all over the place. Uh, Nintendo enforced licensing restrictions and a security lockout system, which means that your games wouldn't work unless you had the proper uh, key chip. You know, right, so unless you actually had a Nintendo, because I mean, there was a point in time where you could take a game that was made for Atari twenty six hundred and put it into another system. Yeah, and it would work. Yeah, yeah. but not with the Nintendo stuff. With the with the Nintendo games, you had to have the proper key chip. To get the proper key chip, you had to obey Nintendo's licensing restrictions. Um, and I guess you, you <laughs> the result of all these things together was the Nintendo seal of quality that all of us who you know, we're born or raised in the 80s with games. We should all know about this Nintendo seal of quality. Yeah, um, and it actually meant something then, too, because it had to. <laughs> exactly. And it, just a few things. Like, first of all, Nintendo limited the amount of games a publisher could actually publish on the Nintendo to only five games per year. Which means that, you know, why rush and put out 30 games, 30 crappy games, when you can really only do five? Right, you know. and you also were kind of putting your best foot forward. If you have thirty games on the burner, well, do you really need to put out all thirty other games, those games at all? You right. know, even if you get an extra year or two of development time for a game, does that mean it's still going to be worth putting out, or are you just trying to make a quick buck? So people had to make harder choices too, which really, you know, it improved things. It's weird because now you almost hear people talk about, or maybe some people talk about the the seal of, Nintendo seal of quality. Um, a bit like a bad thing, but really the times necessi- you know, necessitated it. And on top of that, 
you know, you wouldn't really have the quality control we have now if without it. Yeah. Um, you know, I know we have like issues now where people are concerned about Xbox Live having, you know, too stricter, you know, guidelines and, you know, them being tough to work with for indie developers and stuff like that. But, you know, it's quality, quality concern. Yeah. And yeah, another thing with the Nintendo licensing, like all cartridges had to be manufactured by Nintendo. And not only that, they all had to be paid in full before they were even manufactured. Um, and they weren't returnable. So publishers and developers, they would think long and hard before ordering a bunch of games. Like, realistically, how many of these are we going to sell? You know, because the thing is, if you didn't sell your games, you were just stuck. You were just stuck with those games taking inventory because Nintendo's not taking it back. And a lot of publishers actually lost money on games that didn't sell so well. So that's another thing. That's another reason to make sure that your game is good. You know, that your game does not suck. So that, you know, it will definitely sell and you get those cartridges, you know, pushed out. Um, now, uh, from a consumer standpoint, that Nintendo seal of quality, it really re- it helped rebuild consumer confidence in the video game console. Yep. That that's if that's if that's if you want to see what it did for the industry, that's what it did. It yeah. really it, then that's the biggest thing because now consumers aren't afraid to go and buy video games. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, like you know, being born and you know when when the industry crashed, like that was the system I grew up with. You know, I played Commodore and ColecoVision and stuff like that in the Atari. You know, they were still around, but. Nintendo was like was the first system I had in my house. You know, it was the first right. system that was bought for me for Christmas. You know that sort of thing, and it, it you know, and it's funny. That's why it's so funny to hear you know, like kind of like a a revisionist view of events with like the Nintendo seal of quality when it's like no, really, like as a kid, like that meant everything. You know, yeah. <laughs> like you you saw that seal on you know you saw that seal and you you were good to go. You may not necessarily like the game, but it was going to be good enough to play. You know, for the most part, there was still crap, yeah, but there was much less crap. You know, there was less crap than even on the Wii. Now you could, you know, you could say yeah. the seal doesn't the seal doesn't mean as much now as it did then. But right. it was the times, you know. It needed it, and that that's how Nintendo really helped save the console gaming industry. Without Nintendo, um, console gaming probably would not exist right now. Not as we know it. Yeah, because the, you know, pretty much all, and that, that, that also at the time signified the shift from the United States dominating the console market to Japan dominating the, uh, the console market because, um, you know, it, all the companies that were making consoles before that were all companies in the U.S. and they were pulling out because they thought the market had collapsed. Well, the market did collapse. So they were all pulling out. So that's what I said. I, without Nintendo, you probably wouldn't have consoles right now. Um, and when Nintendo, when they were successful, that brought on Sega, you know, and for a long time, like, look at, look at the consoles that we had, they were, we, you had Sega, Nintendo, Atari popped back in there with the Jaguar, failed miserably, you know, and then you had the PlayStation, you you had the PlayStation, uh, you also had the 3DO, if you want to count that, but that also failed, Right. but, um, you know, in terms of successful consoles, Nintendo, Super Nintendo, uh, Sega Master System, Genesis, um, Sega CD, 32X, uh, Dreamcast, PlayStation 2, Nintendo 64. You know, that's that was it until Microsoft comes back out with the Xbox. 
Yeah, and then and on top of that, you can there's an actually like a more a way more clear line of like succession too, and in, in terms of consoles getting to that point, like even just to get there, it wasn't you know, they, not only were there not like a you know they they there were really only two Japanese companies you know that dealt <laughs> with it, so and it, they weren't putting out five systems you know five versions of their system, um, so you know you had competition between like each system, but like the sets went. You know, upwards in like a in a fashion that made sense until you you know even until you get to the point where you know Microsoft ran just ran just a console race and then all of a sudden America's kind of back in it again. Yeah, thanks to good old Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, but uh, um, and another thing too that kind of like bears mentioning is that uh, the the crash only really affected America. You know, I mean, like it it was American companies, but like things weren't as. <sighs> international as they were now as they are now i guess you could say um there wasn't a whole lot of crossover where you know atari was everywhere but it wasn't like you know all of those systems made it overseas you know the that that was a kind of a side effect of the way the industry was at the time was that you may get a system overseas but it wasn't even the same system you know same version of the system um there were systems that literally had like 13 versions of the same system but they were just in different territories you may not even you know you didn't even see that in the u.s yeah, that and the fact that Europe, I guess the console market didn't pick up as much. First of all, the the home the home computer market picked up more, right. and like we mentioned, the home computer market wasn't too affected. So, the crash didn't hit Europe really that hard. Yeah, Europe or Japan yeah, or Japan, so. you know. So you know that that's really why it really affected you know the American the American market, and and that was pretty much it. Um, but yeah, you know, you know the rest of that story. Nintendo came back, then Sega came in after them, then Sony came in after them, and now, you know, now we have we still have a big three, but you know, at least one American company's in there as opposed to three Japanese companies. Um, you know, and but I guess there is relevance. I guess some relevance to to, to today. Yeah, um, we're not quite looking at it industry crash, but yeah. it's it, there's parallels to be made. There's parallels to be made. Um, some you know. The, there's no doubt that you can find some articles or some podcast besides this one. You know, you might want to you know step out there and listen to other podcasts if you haven't. This doesn't have to be the only one you listen to. We share, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, you'll find people talking about uh, you know another industry crash. Is it looming? Uh, and this is like, this has really come into play with uh, the social gaming aspect. And the mobile gaming aspect, because we're seeing a lot of uh, similarities between two. Now, I'll just go on the record and say, uh, in terms of an industry crash, I I cannot see that happening for a very very long time. Uh, yeah, I mean, decades at least. I mean, it, and things can change quick, but yeah. there's not the same. There's this, there's not the same set of circumstances in play. Nobody owns that much of the game industry right now that even if say one of the big three folded or you know apple folded or something whatever happened that it would cause the industry to just upend itself um it would really require like a really extraordinary set of circumstances which is why i agree i don't i don't think that you're going to see an industry crash like it would require like two out of the three to fold at the same time and i don't think even necessarily that would do it yeah and this thing i mean like and in terms of like games themselves like first of all Compared to back then, not that many games are co- not as many games are coming out, especially 
crappy games. Like, you know, bad games. Leave. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Well, the thing is, like, we're so used to good games now. I think we're so used to good games coming out that if a game is just mediocre, average, we're like, man, whatever. You know, that's how we view it. Play it, but that's, you know, you may may end up with an average game, but that's exactly. (laughs) We, We frown upon a three out of five. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, like, back then, though, like, the games were, like, one out of five. So, the thing is, like, it's not the, the games that are coming out aren't just, like, total garbage like they were back then. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why like, we don't have enough bad games coming out, I think, to erode consumer confidence the way it was eroded back in the 80s. Yeah, you may 80s. even see major franchises disappear from, pub- you know, from developers and things. Like, you know, you've seen Guitar Hero go away. You know, as as big a thing as that was a few years ago, like now it's they're not coming out with any more games. Yeah. That's done, but that doesn't mean like like for one, music games aren't done. You know, you got the dancing games now that have taken their place to some extent. You know, you still have Rock Band and them releasing content, and on top of that, like that's just one franchise. There's something else to take its place, even if Call of Duty went away next year. There would be something else that say Activision would would take find to take its place. You know, right. there would be something else to stand up for it. Exactly. So like an entire industry crash not happening. Um but some people do think that uh a crash in the mobile or social gaming markets is imminent. And even I wouldn't say a crash in those markets. Are, are, are imminent. I don't think it will ever get to a point where people aren't consuming those games. Now, what I will say is I think that there is kind of a, a profit bubble there. That there's a profit bubble and that's going to burst. Yeah, I think it's that there's I think it's the same unrealistic expectations that you saw when you know Atari went from saying we're only going to make 10% instead of 50%. I think that's the same kind of that same kind of mindset is in play, um, but you know, because I mean, you see Zynga. You, in fact, let me just talk about Zynga. Like, talk about any, any of them now. You see these startups, and they get valued. You know, when they start, you know, collecting for IPOs, and you see them get valued at hundreds of millions of dollars to, you know, to up to billions, and and you look at the, you know, the products, and you're like, how? You know, like how that there, there's like a disconnect. If you, you know, as a gamer, look at something versus, you know, what I guess, you know, accountants and things like that, you know, not that they're completely wrong, but that you look at something, you see that there's a disconnect between like, how is that ever going to actually like stand the test of time to make that much money, to even make that much money back? Right. Not just make somebody money that started, <laughs> but make make that much money back to be worth it for investors and stuff. You know, yeah. like it seems like kind of it seems kind of like a sham. And in some cases, I think it is. Um, I think that the valuation of of a lot of these startups is way way too high. Like, I mean, and I think I think that the social game market is more more is due more for a a wake up call than the mobile game market. I think mobile game market has a lot of the the clone type of atmosphere where there's a lot of games and a lot of them are the same. Um, but I think people just don't pay it. Like you don't have people who are walking in buying every single one, or, or you know, or trying to like really figure out like what's the best. Like there's more rating systems. Um, you know, as much of a closed system as Apple is, like there's you know there's ways of better things getting to the top, even though sometimes 
not better things get to the top too. <laughs> some some not good or not not as good things can buy their way to the top. We've talked about that in you know the uh, past mash cast. Um, but you know, like there's there's similar circumstances, but they're they're spread around in different places. And I you know it, it's the same. You could see a lot of parallels, but like not enough to to create that crash. Yeah, from what I'm thinking is going to cause this bubble to burst is I'm kind of in the same line of thinking as Iwata, even at GDC, where he was talking to mobile developers about not making their game so cheap. But I think he was his his deal was that he was worried about that cheap game mentality crossing over to consoles. And I really don't see that happening because even if consumers start to think that games should be cheaper, there's no way like if you tell like you know, Bobby Kotick, like, look, we need to sell games cheaper. We need to sell games for 99 cents. He'll probably slap that person and fire them, you know, on the spot. Because they're, they're, at some point, like, you can't make your game cheaper than what it costs to actually develop it and expect for anything to happen. Um, but what I'm thinking is that the fact that, you know, apps are so cheap. Like, you know, for a while, the 99 cent app was just doing very, very well. Yeah, it was a novelty. You it was know, a novelty. It was, it was like, oh, wow, you're 99 cent apps. And, you know, then people start, everybody starts switching their prices of their apps to 99 cents so that they can sell really well. And they did sell really well in a lot of cases. But now, people have gotten used to it. And people have gotten used to it. And that's what they just expect. I just expect this game to be 99 cents. This mobile game should be 99 cents. And if it's not 99 cents, it's probably not worth it. And I so mean, even personally, and not to cut you off, but even personally, I mean, like, I don't, I don't consume a lot of mobile games, but like for me personally, like if a game isn't free, it's probably too much money. Like, and I mean, like, and that's, and it's sad, but like, that is kind of like the, that's, I, I think that's the direction things are going to go. Well, that's like, that's what I was gonna get into, yeah. like the fact that in order to best those ninety-nine cent apps, a lot of pe- a lot of developers are giving the apps for free now. You know, they're giving the apps for free. Yeah, you have and, Amazon deals and not yeah. only that, but just people who are not only just doing you know free to play has become a thing, but like not every game should be free to play. Exactly, like Gabe Newell said that. <laughs> exactly like you know and now everybody's going to go free to play and do microtransactions but how much money is going to be is going to be made there and actually there are you know from reading gamesindustry.biz there are some developers out there that were like going free to play like you know if we would have just charged we would have made more money but a lot of people just download the game and never spend a dime you know so right. free to play works out for some people but not other people. Yeah, and if you know? if every game goes that way, then you know you spend so much time bouncing back and forth from game to game to game that trying to figure out what's even worth spending money on that like you probably don't go back to those old games. I mean that happens now without every game being that way. You know that's, and even then you you have the concern of even if people spend money on the game, like even if somebody even if people do buy a game and they do partake in microtransactions, like it takes time to get to get that money back as opposed to like people buying it outright. And then, you know, that money is already back more or less, you know, you still have to sell a certain amount of copies and things like that. But, you know, you could have 5 billion people download your free to play game and never make a dime. You know, like it, it means nothing. It means nothing that people download it. Like it, then you're getting beyond people actually even playing it. You're getting the people like playing it so much that they spend money on it. And there can't be that much room for 
that many types of games that do that on the market because there, there, there can't be. Like, there can't be that many games that attract somebody's attention so much that they want to spend money on nothing but that game. He, they, there's just people's wallets aren't big enough. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that. And I think with that, with that, with a market like that or games like that, um, I think they'll find that a lot of players they may try another free to play game, but if I, if I've already dropped so much money into X game and now I have another free to game play game that's actually you know may not be a hundred percent the same, but it's still kind of similar, I'll probably just play X game as opposed to Y game because I already put the money into it. Right? Why am I going to let go again? of that? Yeah, like you know you unlocked all this cool stuff or you got this armor for your character or a weapon or something. And it's like why would you start over with another game where you're doing the same thing? Only to, you know, next game, next game, next game. I mean, like, you see that play out, like, over a much, much bigger period of time when you see MMOs, you know. You have put an investment into the game, even not free-to-play MMOs. I mean, like, you could talk about WoW and talk about the same thing, where you spend three, four, five, whatever amount of years playing a game, um, even if you just spend a year, but the fact that you put money into the game on a mo- you know, monthly payments and everything um, and un- gotten gear for your characters and stuff you're reluctant to go to something else even when something else that may be good comes out you know you see Ion come out later and even if the game is good enough to you to play that means that you're pretty much letting go of everything that you accomplished and you know and, and wow to go over to that you know even if your character is still there waiting you're not playing with it you're starting over from scratch basically and it's hard to let go when you have build up that much history yeah. and free to play is that you know shrunken shrunken down into and put into a faster period of time you know right. it's and it, it, but the same reluctance to move on still applies you know people don't want to just give up something when they finally gotten there <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, when i say like the, the, uh, the like that bubble is gonna pop i don't necessarily mean that like you know the mobile games are just going to stop coming. <laughs> but what, I, what I'm saying is that, like, you know, for, in terms of profit, uh, you know, being profitable for multiple developers the way it is right now, um, it's, it's not going to be there. So once a game, you know, once things aren't as profitable for as many developers, then you'll start to see those developers leave and go other places. But I still think that mobile games are going to be around. Um, just with less developers developing for it. I actually yeah. think it's going to turn to a situation that we kind of have now with major games. Like, we only have a few major publishers. And I can totally see that happening to, like, the mobile games industry. Now, I will say this. When it comes to, like, mobile games, even social games, like, it's it's easier to develop. So I can totally see somebody who's just doing it, like, as a hobbyist doing it. Right. And you not really caring about the profit. Now. You still yeah. see indie games now on major consoles, even though there's only so many publishers you still see indie developers. Exactly. It's just that now you're seeing, right now you're seeing, uh, they're not really our publishers for mobile. I mean, there are, but like, there's not like, you can't, it's hard to even point at certain people aside from say like PopCap under EA. Or Shalango. You know? Right. You know, and, and say, okay, well those are like the major publishers because like, there's so many more developers. Like, you know, there's, 10 times as many developers developing for mobile as there are for, you know, for consoles and stuff or, or PC. Exactly. And, w- and what even I, less publisher control. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like what I can, I kind of see happening here is, you know, we, we already talked about, you know, games are already cheap and a lot of them just can go free to play. Well, once that happens, you know, when a, when a developer makes a free to play game, um, 
unless they have a lot of financial backing behind that game, you know, to kind of pay for themselves and you wait for the dough to start rolling in. Um, a lot of developers can't really afford for a free-to-play game to not make money, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, Whereas, the, that's the other thing, too, because, like, you know, if you're developing by yourself and you don't have publisher backing, that 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 situation comes into play really heavily. Yeah, exactly, because that's, you know, especially if that's, like, your living. But, like, companies, like, bigger publishers, like EA, Ubisoft, Activision, they can afford to make a, pre- a free-to-play game and kind of wait for it to pick up. You know, or even look at EA with um, Tetris Free, for example. If a regular developer makes a free Tetris game and tries to get ad support on it, which, you know, they can, how much money are they going to make on ad support versus EA, who's probably directly getting their ad deals with certain companies, you know, for Tetris Free? Like, I can, I can guarantee you EA is pulling more money on their ads than the average developer is pulling on their ads that they get through Apple or yeah. their ads that they get through um, Google. I forget what the name of the, the ad program is for Android. But EA is definitely pulling more money on their ads that they more than likely are getting direct deals with. Because, like, you know, Jarrett, you know, Jarrett Game Company can say, hey, I have this Tetris game and people like it. And, you know, we're looking for some advertisers. And some advertisers say, okay. Now, EA says, hey, we're putting Tetris out for free. We want some advertisers. How many more people are, and how many larger publishers, not publishers, but companies are going to advertise with EA versus you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just a, it's a difference of having the, you know, the cloud to back up the, you know, the, the, the asking. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention <laughs> just... you got a track record. Yeah. Like Rob already mentioned, like we, we mentioned on the MASHcast, I think it was MASHcast number 25, we talked about um, social... Uh, I was gonna say social gaming clubs, but that's not the uh, that's not the the, the correct uh, terminology. But like, I guess um, social gaming companies using pay per click advertising um, to nah, it's not really advertising, but pay pay per click services to pay people to download their games and get more visibility in the forefront. You know, like, hey, this game has been downloaded a million times, two million times. Larger companies are going to have deeper pockets. Like, a company like EA probably won't even have to do pay-per-click. They're just like, hey, Apple, we're going to pay you a bajillion dollars. Put our game on your front page. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Like, hey, like, make us very visible. Like, you know, they do have pull like that. And I think, like, as social games becomes bigger, because I think it will even become bigger, I think that it's going to become more profitable, but for less people. Right, yeah, it'll and there'll still be profit there. Like it's like the bubble will burst in a, in a limited way. You're gonna see a lot of developers, you know, tossing the towel because it it doesn't make sense, you know. And to talk about thing, you know, everything going free to play is actually being kind of nice about it because honestly, like free to play is kind of almost the best way it could go. That, that's a situation where somebody still wins, but. The, it could also go the other way where the value, you know, the devaluation of games goes, just goes down. You know, you talk about a game being 99 cents and for some people, like, you know, you see a game now that's almost too much, you know, in some cases, you know, what's the race then? You know, like if everything becomes 99 cents and the best game ever is 99 cents, you know, say Infinity Blade is 99 cents, then, you know, Joe Blow Hackenshack is what? two cents one cent like you 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 literally won't ever make your money back you know no matter how many copies you sell at that point which in which case then why bother so i mean like you're 
it's almost a nice thing to say like, oh, you, you can do microtransactions <laughs> and make your money back. But like, you know, the reality of it is that like not everybody's going to be able to do that in the first place because it does. It requires you to have the money up front to really be able to support that. Um, the, the, the more likely is that like everything just keeps, there's a race to the bottom basically that results in everybody getting a net of zero, not even just free to play, but zero. And that's when you see companies that can't, you know, developers or companies that can't handle the, you know, can't handle the heat get out of the kitchen. Yeah. Or it can be even worse where it does like bad games just get devalued so much where even companies like EA are like, wow, we don't want to deal with that. Right. We can't, you know what I'm saying? Like, we can't, we, we can't be bothered. Like we don't want to deal with that and we can't even get enough advertisers to make it worth you know, worth it because nobody's playing the games anymore because now since none of the developers are really developing games for for the mobile platform, you know, now you have the kind of the same situation you had in eighty you know, in the early you know, in the early eighties where a bunch of crappy games coming out. You right. know. Games that like it's like, oh you could still make a game but you know how much you know how much love are you actually going to put at that game <laughs> you know not being right. able when to it's going to make very very little money you're not going to put anything in it so it's going to require you to make money back but you know yeah. i think that's that future is is it would be, it's like extremely rare well, right. like it's a low less, chance it's a less likely future but i mean like that's you know when we say like everything going free to play like we're actually really kind of looking on the bright side yeah. <laughs> in a way of like you know of the worst case scenario i mean the other scenarios that you know, as as much as people get used to certain things, you know, people get used to 99 cents. So 99 cents becomes a standard by which everything is based and going over that is, is, you know, odd. Maybe the, you know, there, the more likely thing is that really there's just a point where companies say like, all right, enough's enough. We know that you're used to 99 cents, but there are things that are worth more than 99 cents. And like, say this is one of them, you know, like, because, Maybe I'm being, I don't know, a little more optimistic, but I think people will pay for quality. But the thing is, you have to offer it to them and, like, you know, make it, you know, show them that there's quality in it. But the problem is that everybody else, right, right now, every company, not just people, but like companies now, you know, trying to make games are so caught up in the idea that, well, I put it at 99 cents, everybody will buy it. That, that there's not a not a consideration of the fact that well like I could sell it for two dollars and people would still buy it, you know right. like everybody thinks that like ninety nine cents is where you have to be to and sell anything and that's not true and it's kind of hard to show quality when there's so many games that's true too so there's no, many there's, games there's even with demos being out for certain games you know even if you can demo a game on on mobile which is exceedingly rare anyway but even if you can then you still have to find the game in the first place you know there's there's not the the market, the thing, you know, things aren't as set up as they are on consoles. And I think that you're right that when things start getting a little bit worse and you start seeing less companies and you start seeing more publishers emerge that have developers under them, um, and it becomes a little bit more like, you know, mobile industry becomes like the console industry, like, except it's its own thing, really, um, that that's when you start seeing that they'll, you know, go the effort of making demos, you know, having a demo section in you know an app store um more and more looks at games that are you know bigger mobile games and stuff like that you know you so you can get an idea of what's going on as opposed to like we're gonna put it in the app store and that's it you know you may see an ad for it 
playing some other game <laughs> on your on your phone. But like you'll never see advertising, you'll never see real coverage, you'll never see videos, you know, like you don't see very much of anything else. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, we're not really, I guess we're not casting gloom and doom on either the social gaming or the mobile gaming issue. We just predict the change. <laughs> yeah, if anything, I really do think social gaming is the one that's set for a bubble bursting. Um, I, I think that those, a lot of those companies are going to get a really rude wake-up call, and I think investors will be the ones that, like, give it that wake-up call when it when you realize that, like, the it's not sustainable. You know, you're you're in a bubble that really it really isn't sustainable, and mo- and and social gaming it's easy to see. You know, mobile gaming it's a little bit harder because there are quality games. There are people who are bothering to make games that are decent. Like good games tend to rise to the top, although you you know you do get the copies, you know the the knockoffs that that get up there somehow. You know, you have people paying their way to the top, but tend the quality does tend to rise. But the problem is that social gaming really like has that inbred kind of structure that the and a you know in 83 that the the game industry had where everything really is the same like there's very few things that fall outside of the mold you know like there's only so many ways that you can monetize you know the the style of games that you know that they put out you know like you you have cityville and farmville but like really what's the difference you know, well, like one's in a city, one's in a farm. Rob, geez, catch up. And, and that's what I mean. Like that's it. That's it. Like <laughs> yeah. you know, that's what you're talking. You know, like it, even when it's like you get as novel, quote unquote, as Mafia Wars, you're still you're still basically doing the same thing. You know, it's still the the same idea. And the pro- not only the problem. You know, I mean, like and Zynga, as big as they are, they have a pretty proven track record of being the ones that copy other people in the first place, like to even get where they are now. So when people start copying them because they see their stuff, working, like, you know, that you can yeah, see it's bad. Yeah. You know, at least in mobile, people are still trying to bother to make something different occasionally. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you good, Rob? I'm good. I think that, I think that we've covered everything for all the fine folks. And I think that they understand why now us old heads <laughs> talk about 83 with hushed tones and, and, <laughs> and wary words and look at the future with, you know, kind of scared eyes sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I mean, the future of gaming, I actually, I think it's bright. Like, everybody keeps, like, put you know, put the poo-poo on, on consoles, like, consoles aren't going to make it, blah, 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 mobile gaming, this, that, and the other, but... I personally think consoles are going to turn out much better because when consoles do finally go, when our next gen consoles finally do come out, I have faith that Sony and Microsoft are going to make them worthwhile. Like, there's going to be stuff on there that is going to make it worthwhile. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that the future really has never been brighter. I mean, like, even as much as, like, we talk about, like, you know, that mobile doesn't have the capacity to kill a console, like, you know, everything kind of exists together because crazy idea they can but i think that even i think mobile has a bright future too you know i think that it all has a bright future except for social gaming (laughs) (laughs) i think personal bias yeah well i can kind of agree with you on social gaming with mobile gaming i actually think once that that bubble pops and the 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 herd thins you know and actually once we get some you know kind of policing in there with the publishers with like you know uh like well you know with the major publisher it makes it it'll make it easier for people to sort through the games and find good games as opposed to now where like why even flip past the first page 
Exactly. I'll, I'll look into games. You know what I'm when I even bother to look, I, I don't. Like, you know, you get two pages in. If somebody goes three pages, you're probably really, really fortunate. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I, I, but I, and all in all, yeah, I think that the future has never been brighter. We're not, we're not looking at a crash currently. We don't think that that's possible. So. It really can't happen the way that the industry is set up now. Um, I, I think that things are fine, really. I mean, like, not everything is not perfect, don't get me wrong. Console, you know, gaming and you know, a lot of the bigger publishers in console gaming and other places, they still have work to do. They still have, you know, concerns about privacy and how far that they step and, you know, on consumer rights and DRM and all that fun stuff. But you don't have the same erosion of consumer confidence and those factors that, because, I mean, even the crash of 83 was really like a, that was a mix of of factors that just it couldn't you 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 know there was no recovering from it at the time. Yeah, just a lot of bad stuff happening, compounding on top of each other. You know. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I think that the future is going to be bright. And um, so if anybody from Sony or Microsoft or Nintendo is listening to this console, I mean uh, expansion slots and the consoles. I just I, I just saved the industry right there. That's all, that's all you need. <laughs> Do that for me. Con- expansion slots. That would totally take care of this whole thing where people are saying, well, the consoles aren't... Uh, they're not uh, developing fast enough. You know, they're old technology. They, they get outdated too fast. Just shut them all up. Shut them all up. Expansion slots. Really? We're going to go back to the 90s, though? I mean, like, come on, really, though? 32X? Is that really a great idea? Was it? Was it really... Okay, no. <laughs> 32X 32X had its place. The problem, that the big problem, was the fact that Sega was juggling too many, pretty much, consoles at one time. That was Sega's problem. All I'm saying is put expansion slots, like for graphics, uh, maybe RAM... Into the into the into the consoles, and that way, as technology pushes forward, the consoles can also push forward to the point, you know, and it it'll definitely flesh out the life of that console. I'm just saying. Basically, make your consoles computers is what we're really getting at. Well, he may not be getting at that, but that's what it sounds like to me. Well, you know, <laughs> the PC is a finely tuned machine, Rob. I'm just you know, there, there's more to a PC than you know, graphics cards and RAM. I I am aware. <laughs> But I'm saying, when you give people that much customization to a normal person, even to a normal gamer, there's a point where it basically looks like a PC. You know, if it walks like a PC and it talks like a PC, <laughs> it's a console still, but it's a PC. <laughs> That's a conversation for another day. <laughs> All right, but thanks for listening, guys. Uh, as always, you can catch us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash mash those buttons. Uh, Facebook.com slash mash those buttons, Twitter.com slash MTB site. Uh, you can, uh, if you have any trouble or uh, if you have any complaints, Rob loves complaints. Right. So we email Rob. Uh, he is the community manager. He is your community manager. Uh, and he wants to hear from you. So, yeah. Um, I, I'm so used to at the end of a match cast, I kind of go on for like, like, what's coming out this week? But that's not the case. Yeah, we don't have to ask you questions. We don't gotta. We don't gotta go through games. It's kind of. It's kind of great. It's kind of almost like a vacation, which I guess is appropriate considering what's going to be coming up. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, thanks for listening to this special edition. We'll have another special edition on next week, and then the week after that, we will have a brand new Mashcast for you. So thanks a lot, and we will catch you later. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye.